Hey everyone, this is going to be the first in a mini-series I'll be doing about some of the more historical murders around Denver. Um, I'm hoping to have a historical episode out the second week of every month, and I'll be sticking to the usual larger case episode at the end of every month. This is a story from the early history of Denver. Uh, Denver was originally called the Queen City, but not all was glamorous in the early days of this frontier town. Uh, brothels were major players in the rowdy daily life of Denver, and some brothels were the quarters of renowned madames such as Maddie Silks and Ginny Rogers. Maddie owned a parlor just one down from one of the murders we'll discuss, and once organized the first recorded duel in Denver between two women. She later purchased the famous House of Mirrors brothel from Ginny Rogers following her death, and this building that was once called Maddie's House of Mirrors still stands as it once was on 1946 Market Street at Market and 20th, and it's supposedly haunted. Other brothels in the area at that time were decidedly more squalid, and they were called Cribs, and they lined Market Street only a few blocks north of 20th. This area of town on Market Street near Union Station was called the Tenderloin District. Sex work, gambling, and cons separated many desperate and lonely miners from their money, yet, as with any gambling town, a few lucky people managed to make a luxurious living for decades. So, the Tenderloin District at the time had seen its share of murder and mayhem. In the mid-1880s, sex workers Blanche Morgan, alias Pearl Smith, and one of her employees, Ardell Smith, uh, ran a scam where they would drug their John's drinks with morphine and steal their money. In one instance, they overdosed a man named William Juice, and he died. In a separate instance in 1884, the body of Leadville businessman John Fitzgerald was found decomposing by the Cherry Creek River near the Colfax Bridge, which did exist back then. His throat had been slashed. Sex workers Maddie Lemon and Belle Warden were arrested along with accomplices Anthony Delf and Barry Gates, who were their lovers. All four were eventually found guilty of murder. So many murders at that time in the Tenderloin District seemed to center around what was then called Holiday Street, a street that gained a reputation as one of the most wicked streets in the West. And in 1888, the Holiday family, who the street was named after, asked that the street be renamed, and it was renamed as Market Street. But the murders continued. Ida Mae Jones, known as Black-Eyed for her viciousness, owned a bordello at 1040 Market Street and followed one Stephen Zimmer down Market before confronting him at 20th and Market and stabbing him to death, where he bled out on the street. The motive for the murder was unclear, and she was convicted of second-degree murder but served only nine years of a 15-year sentence. And just to add to the list of problems in uh, the Queen City at the time, another rampant issue at this time was poisonous liquor that poisoned thousands. So there's sick people everywhere. Um, there's a huge issue with people just simply dying on the streets after drinking all day. Uh, many newcomers to Denver were initially surprised by the debauchery and almost daily shootings, yet soon grew used to shots ringing out at any time of the day. Most of the city's vice attractions were within only a few steps of Union Station, and according to Clark Seacrest, a retired editor of the Colorado Heritage, Denver's Vice District ranked third in notoriety behind San Francisco's Barbary Coast and New Orleans Storyville. Denver's politicians and police force were considered some of the most corrupt in the nation around this time, and it was not uncommon to find patrolmen as depraved as the criminals they pursued. Not until World War I and Prohibition did the Tenderloin District begin to fall out of public intrigue. However, at the height of the district's debauchery in the fall of 1894, 
The Tenderloin district of Denver was haunted by a series of gruesome murders. At the time, Denver newspapers called Market Street Strangler's Row, and for a time, they sensationalized the story by suggesting that Jack the Ripper himself had come to Colorado. If you're not familiar with Ripperology, and that is what it's called, proceed with caution. It's a long and convoluted rabbit hole. Um, there is numerous communities, articles, and books discussing theories about Jack the Ripper. Following the Ripper deaths in England, many countries who had strangling deaths or deaths of women in series reported that Jack the Ripper had found his way out of England to somewhere else on the globe. One of the more famous theories is that Jack the Ripper was actually H.H. Holmes, notorious Chicago World's Fair serial killer, who built a hotel with body chutes and traps to kill victims and dispose of them. However, documents placing H.H. Holmes in the United States at certain times makes his travel to and from England for certain events where he was verified as present almost impossible. So was Jack the Ripper himself in Colorado? Almost certainly not. But someone just as dangerous lurked in the Tenderloin district. Every single victim of the strangler was a sex worker and had been strangled and found with a towel in her mouth. There was no sign of forced entry to any of the locations where the women were discovered, suggesting that the killer could have been a customer. However, we'll find out that door locking was not extremely common in this area of town to begin with. The Denver Evening Post reported that the Denver Police Department, as well as private detectives, worked actively to find the killers, and a $1,000 reward was posted for the capture of the killer. The first victim was found on September 3, 1894. Lena Trapper was of German descent, and she was found choked to death in her one-room crib at 1911 Market Street. A piece of her own skirt was pushed down into her throat. According to the Boulder Daily Camera, two witnesses had passed the house and seen Lena being strangled. Richard DeMatti was then arrested for the murder, and a series of accusations about his motives followed, including that he was married to Lena. DeMatti was later acquitted by a jury of his peers, and nothing more really came of him as a suspect in any of these murders. On October 28, 1894, a little over a month after Lena Trapper was found, Denver policeman Tony Saunders blew a whistle near his home on the 1900 block of Market Street. Three officers ran over and they entered a home at 1925 Market Street. In a bedroom off the parlor of the home was the body of Marie Contessot. She had been strangled to death and her face was grotesquely swollen. Her neck was badly bruised and a large piece of rope was found near the body. Again, there was no sign of forced entry into the home and the murder was very similar to the murder of Lena Trapper. When I read these details about the case, a couple of things come to mind. There wasn't much detail concerning a towel um, or a piece of cloth in her mouth. However, some articles trace the similarity to the rope used to strangle her. The other detail that I questioned was how a police officer knew to blow a whistle about a woman strangled in a home, but we'll soon find out what he was doing there. So investigators ended up finding out that Marie and her sister Eugenia were brought to America from France by Charles Chaloup, who was also French. Chaloup was a pimp who had a rough reputation in Denver. Chaloup was a person of interest for the strangling until another person became a better suspect. The new suspect was Tony Saunders himself, the policeman who alerted police to the body of Marie on Market Street. It was discovered that Saunders went by an alias Antonio Santo Pietro, who was known on Market Street as a pimp. He had been in a relationship with Marie Contessot for some time, um, and under police interrogation, Antonio, a.k.a. Tony Saunders, professed his love for Marie and said that they had been lovers for months and she had recently moved in with him to a new home. 
where she was eventually found. His story was believable, and eventually police released him for lack of evidence. So at this point in this investigation, police turned back to the pimp, Charles Shalhoub, who had a bad reputation in the Tenderloin District. It was revealed that the sisters Eugenie and Marie Contesso were about to inherit a fortune from a relative in Paris. Neighbors and friends of the sisters claimed that Eugenie and Charles Shalhoub planned to run away with the entire fortune and leave Marie with nothing. Eugenie never confirmed the reality of the inheritance, and both she and Shalhoub fell out of suspicion. So fears began to take hold in the city, and the sex workers of the Tenderloin District began mounting their own defense. One such famous Denver madame, Maddie Silks, led a defense strategy. Maddie's defense strategy against the Denver Strangler was to have iron bars installed on all the windows, and she began heavily locking doors at all times, a practice that was not as common at the time. Other madams followed suit. However, despite some precautions, just two weeks after the Contessault murder, on November 13th, Kiku Oyama was found dead by her boyfriend, Imi Oyama. Some sources report that Kiku was 19, but in an article from November 15th in a newspaper called the Fair Play Flume, they uh, claim that she was actually 24 years old. Oyama had been strangled and a towel shoved in her mouth. She had only arrived to the United States a year earlier. She was among few Japanese people living in Denver at the time, and several Japanese men and women were arrested in connection with the murder, but later released. And I wish the story had a better ending, but following this murder, there were no similar types of murder reported in Denver that were thought to be the Strangler, and life in the Tenderloin District, however briefly, returned to debauchery and vice. However, um, another famous Denver madame, Laura Evans, decided to leave Denver, and she was quoted in an interview saying that, the reason I left Denver when I did was because Jack the Ripper was cutting the wombs out of some of the girls. Eventually, some parlors shut down and others limited their hours, and the Strangler was never found, and the cases were eventually closed, and the Tenderloin District just slowly but surely closed up shop, and the Strangler himself just became another part of history. So that's the story of the Tenderloin District. Um, you can probably think about that next time you're down in Lodo and you're walking around. Maybe go check out the uh, Maddie's House of Mirrors, which still has the same exterior that it did. And there's a plaque on the front of it that um, indicates that it is Maddie's House of Mirrors. So go check that out. Um, I'd like to thank uh, references. Uh, Hell's Bells by Clark Seacrest, uh, Colorado Historic Newspapers Collection, and Murder in the Mile High City by Linda Womack and Linda Jones. Next um, couple weeks, I'll be releasing a series about a serial killer and one of the worst um, years for Grand Junction in recent memory that some of the police have had there. So it'll be a great episode, and um, I have a lot of stuff in planned out for the next few months, so hope you guys keep listening. Thanks. Bye.